lawyer talk off the record on the air again at the 511 Studio C uh, continuing the guest series as it turns out I like this series what do you think Jared I like guest series I do I think it gives us a little bit of extra perspective it lets us uh, share the lawyer talk experience with the rest of the world or at least one person at a time the rest of the world and I think it lets uh, it lets us tell some cool stories and uh, I like that it involves the community and getting folks. So today we have Nick Kiesel here. So Nick's here. He's going to tell us all sorts of great stuff. Uh, Jared, you, you're the you're the instigator of all this. Shorty's the instigator of all this. Shorty, we can thank Shorty, <laughs> Shorty for this mess. She came to me. She said, "Listen, Nick, he's got yeah, we, he's got to talk. He's got great stories. He's, he's I clean. She cleans his house. We'll see. Huh? We'll see. And she's yeah. like this. He's standing there with George Bush in photos." I'm just telling you that right now. I've seen them. I yeah. dusted the photos. Anybody who stood there with George Bush in photos certainly D- deserve is, deserves a spot at the table. Yeah, I would have to right, say. Right, and right, I, said, right. I, I was like, I got it. I, I got the interest there. And uh, sure. she's been cleaning. We talked about it when he first walked in. This is the first time I've ever met Nick. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, so you know, Shorty's been cleaning probably about eight years. I think is what we came up at least, with. Yeah. And wow. uh, he came downstairs, and I uh, shook his hand, said, "Hey, yeah, I've, I've heard about your son. I've heard about your wife. I, there's been a whole." Uh, you know, bits and pieces that I get to hear from Shorty and her job and the people that she cleans for. And uh, because she becomes kind of a part of the family. She does. Yeah, Shorty's great. She's phenomenal. And we've known her for quite a while. And uh, her and my wife are friends. And yeah. And she she loves uh, messing around with your boy there. She always puts up like a note or she, she moves does. things around and puts toys around there for her. She's yeah. got a whole game that she plays she with She does. Them. And we know when she leaves, he'll you know usually have a little present of some sort. And I mean, yeah. look, don't feel like you have to just compliment her just just because you're on the air. I mean, now's the time. You can lodge your complaints on the record. We're half, I mean, Bill and I were lawyers. We'll, we'll take appropriate action. There's absolutely um, nothing negative I can say. Nothing. Oh, wow. So, okay. And I'll stand behind that. The OCD cleaning. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It actually lives up to its name. <laughs> um, but anyway, she says you got a unique story to tell. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What uh, What's your background? Uh, so I, I uh, currently own my own company, uh, and it's it's called Arc Safety Consulting. And so it uh, Arc like A R like A R K A R K A R K Noah's Arc. Correct. Yeah. Um, and there's a story behind that, but I guess we can get there. Um, so I. Uh, Formerly was the director of safety and security for Reynoldsburg City Schools. All right. Uh, prior to that, um, I was working as a school resource officer through Reynoldsburg Police Department, uh, and then worked patrol before that with RPD, um, and then before that was in the Marine Corps. Oh, okay. Uh, so I served eight years in the Marine Corps, both as a military police officer and as a criminal investigator. Now, did you go to the Marines uh, right out of co- right out of high school? Right out of high right? school. Yeah, I uh, graduated high school. I took that whole summer off, uh, and and the purpose of that was to get in shape. To, uh, to leave for boot camp. Yeah, I got so you. did nothing over that summer but um, running and, and getting ready. So it wasn't like John Candy and Stripes where he was using the Marines. You know, I could, you know, some people spent thousands of dollars for this experience. I figured, why not just join the Army? Right. No, so, yeah, so I left uh, the summer after graduated high school. I uh, went to Paris Island, uh, South Carolina for boot camp. And uh, I chose the, the, the job, which I didn't realize at the time. I walked into the recruiter station. I knew that's where I was going, the Marine Corps. There was no question. Yeah. Walked into the recruiter's office and uh, he asked me to pick a job, and I said, "I, I want to be a Marine. I don't. What do you mean a job? Right. And what so, do you want to do in the Marines? I right. So, saying, yeah. And so he handed me a, a book, and I kid you not, there were pictures um, and descriptions of different jobs. And I saw a Marine in uh, wearing a badge with black gear on next to a police car, and I said, "Okay, that sounds that sounds good. I'll do that." Ooh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's how my law enforcement career started with a, a picture in a book. So what does, what made you want to go to the Marines? How does that, how does that decision happen? 
Um, I, I don't really know. I, uh, I knew I wasn't ready for college. Uh, I kind of wanted a break from school and I love to challenge myself and I, I just wanted to do the hardest thing I could at the time. And the Marine Corps sounded like that, yeah. that, that difficult path. Gotcha. So that's what, what I chose. Now I assume somewhere between the recruiter's office and the end of your service in the Marine Corps, you ended up with George Bush. Correct. So I, uh, I went into uh, boot camp, graduated boot camp, went to the military police academy in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Are you guys allowed to talk about boot camp? I mean, look, I wasn't sure. in the military. Yeah. Sometimes I sort of regret it, actually. But well, I, yeah. I wasn't in the I wasn't in the military. But it's like at this club, and I, is it is it what everybody says it is? Is it harder? Is it easier? What was your experience in boot camp? It's what everyone says it is. It's it was extremely difficult. Really, uh, one one of the most difficult things that I've ever done in my life. Sure, and so because it, it it's a a breaking down of your I guess you as a individual. And you're becoming a team. So it's letting go of uh, your individuality. Uh, and so you can't even speak of yourself in the first person. Wow. Um, so you can't say I or me. It's this recruit. That's how you, you speak in, in boot camp. Um, at least it was back in, I mean, that was, what, 19 years ago now. Um, so it, it was very difficult to let go of that. And uh, I mean, they, they dressed you by the numbers. So you get up in the morning and it's put your left sock on now. And if you didn't do it fast enough, you got to do it again. Put your right sock on now. So you can't, at the start, you didn't even dress yourself. Wow. So yeah, it's, hmm. uh, it was a unique experience. So imagine coming straight out of high school where, I mean, as a senior in high school, you have freedom, freedom to do whatever you wanted. I was free to go wherever I wanted and, and do whatever I wanted and going to where every single moment and second of your life is watched and controlled. And regulated. So right. this is going to get back to, we're going to circle back because you talked about school resource stuff, but- this is like my jackass rule because I think as a senior in high school, as guys, that is like the height of our jackass rule. <laughs> sure. You know, it's like sure. that is when you do the dumbest things, <laughs> say the dumbest stuff. Right. Uh, get in the biggest trouble, sometimes life-ruining trouble. But uh, yeah. And then going into that environment, it's an interesting switch. But anyway, so you get done with boot camp. What, uh, what's next? Get done with boot camp uh, and I leave for uh, Marine combat training, which was a few weeks in North Carolina. Uh, where, I mean, essentially you're just learning combat techniques, combat skills. Once I left there, went to Fort Leonard, Missouri to the, uh, police academy. Uh, so it's a military police academy there. Um, I was there for, I want to say about eight weeks total. The training wasn't eight weeks long, uh, but I was there for a little while waiting to train. Uh, and the presidential helicopter squadron came, came out to recruit, uh, for HM, it's Marine one security. I got you. Uh, so they came out. There was probably around 300 of us total recruits or uh, police academy candidates there, and they were taking 18 people. So it was a interview process, a psychological evaluation, uh, you name it. Uh, and at the end of the day, I was selected. Uh, so out of 300, now did all 300 want that job? Or? All 300 applied for it, yes. Wow. Yep. How many were picked? 18. 18. Yeah. Can you imagine? I've, I guess I've got this interesting, I, I don't know, I've just, for some reason in the back of my head, I think, all right. They, they hand you this, this color picture book of what you want to do in the Marines, and they say, just pick what you want to do. But it seems to me like that would be BS. Like they, they just say, oh, screw you. We don't care what you want. We're just going to send you where we want you. Is it, uh, but you ended up being on the, as, a, as a police officer. And, and can, you can go in with a, and again, 19 years ago, I don't know how it is today, but yeah. you can go in with a guaranteed uh, MOS, Military Occupational Specialty. Gotcha. Uh, so per your contract, when you sign up, you enter in with that guaranteed uh, job. I imagine to the extent that you can complete the job. Correct. Yeah. And if and some Marines would go in as an open contract again, wherever yeah. the Marine, wherever the Marine Corps needs me, yeah. most of those would end up in the infantry. Um, the infantry, you know, aspect obviously that's the core of the Marine Corps. So. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, what was going on? I'm trying to think historically. 19 years ago, what was going on? What conflict? I mean, was there any concern about getting sent somewhere, being uh, shipped over? Was there a want? Was there a want of avoidance? Or you know, not? I just curious what the thought process was. Um, it, when I entered in the Marine Corps, there really wasn't. Soon after uh, September 11th occurred, uh, 2001. So I went right. in in September of 2000. One year later is when mm. September uh, 11th, 2001 occurred. So I was actually in Quantico, Virginia, uh, just south of the Pentagon when the plane hit when it all went down. And so that's when, you know, the whole Iraqi conflict occurred. So that's when our world changed. It did. It did. That's when we had to join the rest of the world. Sure. Yep. How did that impact your experience in the Marines? I mean, did it, did it like change overnight? Like all of a sudden now we're in uh, like DEFCON, whatever, and we're, we're at war with somebody we don't even know about yet. Or how, how did that change the attitude? It, it did change. Um, obviously there was a lot of, of anger and I think America felt that as a whole. Uh, yeah. So being a part of the Marine Corps, there was that. Uh, but the position I was in, I was in a non-deployable unit uh, at the Presidential Helicopter Squadron. They have extensive background checks, um, top secret clearances, you name it, that they've paid a lot of money for. And so they don't want to just deploy you uh, when you have a job to do there. Yeah. So I, I had no risk of being deployed to that. So it, it changed in, in obviously the mindset and I wanted to do something, but where I was, I couldn't. Does that, you know, it's like I can almost, I've talked to enough doing what I do. I've talked to a lot of veterans, right? I've sure. talked to veterans who have had psychological issues coming back or mm -hmm. whether it's PTSD or whether it's substance abuse as a result of that. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I see it and we do our best to help out. But uh, a lot of what I hear is, uh, maybe not a lot, some of what I hear is guilt, right? Where guys are like saying, man, my, be my best friend, he went and he didn't come back. Mm -hmm. And here I was like fixing engines or something, you know, and, so, and, and sure. there's this guilt that they carry around even to this day, like years later. I mean, is that real? Is that, it's uh, real. It's real. I experience it. Uh, yeah. I feel that. And it, you know, at the time, if I had been called to go, I would have gone and I wanted to. And sure, so, yeah. it, and it, and it comes down now as I served eight years in the Marine Corps. And yet when someone says, thank you for your service, it's yeah, I served, but I didn't serve over there. And so yeah. it's, it, it is a guilt. It is a guilt of, you know, I was a Marine. I should have been over fighting like the rest of the Marines. And I did know, you know, something you were, that went didn't come back. You're still there protecting the president of the United and States. And I hear that side, but it's, you know, I mean, there, yeah, there's right. a big side you're there. Just I mean, they, they just, you know, I mean, the, the Pentagon just got hit. Right. It's fascinating. You know, because that was, a, I mean, that was a, a crazy day. We've talked about it before. I was just, it was un unbelievable. And, and, you know, from everybody's perspective, I don't want to say everybody. Also, I can think I can speak for at least Jared, Bill and and me. It's like. I don't view it any different, right? You know, or differently. I don't see it, what you did, any different than somebody who got deployed. I look at it like you joined the Marines voluntarily. Sure. And would have done whatever they asked you to do at a time when we needed that the most. So it's like, right. I, don't, I don't think the rest of the world sees it that way, but like all those conflicts, they're, they're internal, right? It is. It's you just know, your right. own struggle. So. Absolutely. And I think it's coming from seeing it from a different perspective, being in you know, and seeing the Marines that went and knowing them. And, and so it, no, yeah. sure. And then, yeah. and then really it's about a question of what did you do with it now? And, and I guess that's why we're here really to tell sure. that story. So, um, tell us about Bush, man. That's, 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 uh, that's an interesting, it, it was twist. a twist. You know, I had, and uh, some Marines will come out and say, well, I didn't, I didn't enjoy the Marine Corps. I loved it. I eight, eight years. I loved it. Um, and I do it over again if I had the choice, but, uh, Bush was great. He, uh, he loved his military guys. And so, you know, we, we had an interesting, obviously an interesting um, position of where we could be in the vicinity of him or even say at Camp David, uh, the presidential retreat, to where I didn't experience this myself, but he would ask Marines to come running with him. 
Yeah. Um, they'd be in the gym working out. He'd come and ask them to spot him while he's working out. Um, so he certainly loved his military guys, and there was no question about that. So I, I've heard, or I've read, actually not heard. I've, I've I've read some stories about him, and you know it's funny because politically speaking, no matter who the president is at a given time, there half the country thinks he's an asshole. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, you hear folks talk about their experience personally with the individual, and particularly with Bush. What I have read is that the guy was just a statesman, right? I mean, just very sure. yes. courteous, uh, always uh, pleasant and kind to people. Yes. And whether you disagree or agree with whatever political position he had, he was just a nice guy. Absolutely. No, and, I, would, I would echo that. Yes. And it's probably true, you know, if it, there's a lot of people who hated Obama, it's probably the same as probably true. He's probably just a really nice guy. Sure. It just is, uh, you, the, I think the media makes monsters out of these people. Uh, when they don't necessarily have to be. We're not going to talk about Trump today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he, uh, he spoke about a picture. So p- prior to leaving the presidential helicopter squadron, I had re-enlisted uh, to switch uh, my occupational specialty to something different, but he offered what's called a grip and grin. So as, as a military service person who did presidential service, you got to go to the White House and bring somebody with you mm. and then meet him in the Oval Office and get a picture with him and shake his hand. So uh, that's the picture of that. Who did you bring? Sure, my, my mom. You I mom? brought my mom. You brought yeah. mom? Yeah. Which was I, I just, a proud moment. I mean, oh, can you imagine? sure, yeah. man. No, that's... Can you imagine? <laughs> imagine that call. Hey, mom, you want to go meet the president? Right, exactly. What? Exactly. You're kidding. No, no, really. Let's go so, meet the president. A very proud moment. And, uh, yeah, so we got to speak with him briefly standing in the Oval Office and get a picture with him. So, so we're like, what uh, What year about then? Oh, seven? That'd be 2004. Four, all right. Four, uh, or, yes, late 2004, because in 2005, I left for California. I yeah. got you. Mm. And then uh, what was in California? Uh, I re-enlisted for uh, the crim- uh, Criminal Investigation Division, so switched my occupational specialty from military police to criminal investigator. Now you're going to be a cop. Uh, yeah, essentially. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> so I uh, left for California, and... Uh, it went to a criminal investigation school. It was a four-month school in, in back in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Uh, it was another academy, nothing but criminal investigations. And uh, is this run by the military, or it is, is it just shared? So the military owns it, runs it, Correct. teaches it. Yep. So um, I, work, I worked out of an NCIS office in Camp Pendleton, wore a suit and tie every day, did criminal investigations on base. So is it? Uh, yeah. Have you had Opata? I hope you have. Yeah. How's it? How's it? Sta- is it to compare the two? Um, so the Opata Academy that I went through, it was very similar to the police academy in the Marine Corps that I went to. So it's the kind of the core uh, police skills and, and training. Just so I guess people don't know, Ohio Peace Officer Training Academy. Correct. And so it was police school. So, right. Yeah. To be certified as an officer here in Ohio. Yep. But, uh, so it was comparable to the police academy, at not the criminal investigation academy I that I went to. So that was a kind of a higher level. So that may be more akin to a criminal justice. Or, actually, what was it? What did you learn about there? Uh, so, I mean, everything, every aspect of criminal investigations from interviewings, interrogations to uh, crime scene processing, photography mm-hmm. to uh, latent fingerprints and, you know, all that stuff. So all the cool stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. This yep. would all be investigations on base. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, military base. stuff. Did you ever have to testify in uh, military court? I did not. No, I did not. Mm-hmm. So we'd. Uh, so Tom Cruise didn't cross examine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't like the movies. Right. right. Um. And that was, so you re-enlisted, so you had another four years of that. Another four years. So I did, yeah. So eight years total, four years at Marine One, and then four years uh, in Camp Pendleton. Gotcha. Um, what was the craziest case you worked? Oh, you know, I get asked that quite a bit. and I, That's I, like people ask me that all the time. Puts me on the spot. I was like, well, nothing you care about. Dude. Right. Or you work so many or you do so much, and the real bad ones you just push out, you know, and yeah. 
Um, so I, I can't, I don't even know. I mean, there was, we had several th- large theft operations, you know, covert surveillance, things like that. So uh, yeah. interesting cases like that, but. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you ended up back home. I did. I and, did. And how did it, so did you, did I hear that you started first at Roundsburg Police Department? Um, I did. So I got out of the Marine Corps. We moved back here to Central Ohio. And uh, I was actually applied at quite a few police agencies here in Central Ohio and uh, was hired on by Reynoldsburg first. So, yep. Gotcha. So started there. Uh, what is the difference? I'm just trying to think. It's like you go from like military, what I'm, what I'm perceiving as maybe a higher level investigations, just being a patrol guy. Yeah. And it, it was a, it was a change, but I think the, what I was truly interested in at the time was being a cop yeah. and being a criminal investigator. Yes, you're a cop but you're still, you're on a military base and you're not really doing the patrol duties. And so it was actually refreshing and I enjoyed it. I, it's kind of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So coming back to patrol was, was a great change. And yeah, I really enjoyed that. Well, cool. So how does it come to be, you know, we got to talk about school. You said school resource officer. Correct. Did you volunteer for that? I did. Um, Why on earth would somebody volunteer <laughs> to be a school resource officer? Uh, so I was working patrol, uh, was on patrol for, I don't know, it was like four or five years and that position opened up. And so I chose to apply for it. I, I think a number of different reasons, uh, but one of the primary one was I, have a, I had a small child of my own at the time. And I just thought that coming into a school and being around the kids, you know, it's something I would have, I thought I would enjoy. So um, I applied for it, was selected for it. And I started the position. I walked into the school as a school resource officer about two weeks after Sandy Hook happened. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. I mean, to be, was there special, did you receive specialized training as a school resource officer? Or they just said, hey, sign up, here you are. Uh, Pretty much sign up and here you are. Uh, There was no real specialized training. It was kind of learn as you go. Uh, The Ohio School Resource Officer Association does put on training, and I did end up going to that, but it wasn't prior to me starting. So did you, were you armed? I was. Yeah, I was uh, full uh, Full uniform, weapon, everything. Everything, yep. Yep. In uniform. What, uh, so Sandy Hook, well, give me, what, when, what, what year was that? That was uh, just two years ago now, or is that? Uh, oh, two, it was, well, it was 2012. Uh, December. Yeah. December. Well, it was almost two years ago. That was the. Parkland was a year ago. I'm thinking of Parkland. Yeah, right. it, was, so, it was one year ago. Yeah. So Sandy Hook, you're right on the heels of that. And uh, what are your thoughts? That kind of changed everything for me. Uh, and that kind of propelled me to where I am today. So I. December of 2012 was when that happened, obviously with Christmas break. I walked into the school when they came back, essentially after that occurred, yeah. as an officer. This is high school, middle this school? This is high school, so yeah, so it was one, one of Reynoldsburg's high schools. Um, and so it, it, in my mind, I, again, I had a small kid of my own. I, things needed to change. Yeah. And who better to propel that change than someone with the experience that I've had, uh, you know, with many years in law enforcement at that point, uh, because the bottom line is... Teachers are great at teaching. Principals are, are great at running schools. But as far as implementing safety and security measures, especially at that time, today's better, but at that time they didn't have that knowledge. Yeah. And even today, frankly, I mean, I have two sons in school and I, I, it's sort of like, I understand why they have the, it's almost like they have the, they want to look like they have security. <laughs> sure. They have the illusion of security. Sure. They have all the security measures that are, that one would want to see. It's sort of like mm-hmm. going to court, right? They have metal detectors and they have all this, but anybody who really wanted to do something right. could, could breach that, I would think, with a little bit of, sure, not even much intellect, right? I mean, you could just do it. Yeah, um, essentially. And it's, it's, always, it's always been astounding to me as I walk through 
uh, the schools or, or anything else, how easy it is for me just to walk in. Right. And then I think conceptually or even philosophically, shouldn't it be that way? I mean, it's like, I, I don't know that, I mean, you don't want a school on total lockdown all the time. That's not a good experience. Right. And it's not a good way to live. And then statistically, it's like you never want the school shooting to happen where your school is. But st- statistically, it's still not that, it, it, you know, it happens. But it's like, what are the chances it's going to happen in your school? And extremely rare. Correct. Extremely right. rare. But then if it happens and it's 100 percent, right? That's what exactly. So exactly. it's like, uh, where do you, how do you, what's your thought on that? No, I agree with you. And so it kind of to back up to they kind of had this image of security, but it wasn't really secure. And so that it, it's about finding that balance. And so how how are how do we maintain security? without looking like a prison. Yeah. Um, and so obviously there's several elements that go into that, but walking into the school as a school resource officer, soon after that, um, I, I really needed to start taking a look at different things and, and increasing that safety. So increasing, I mean, not only the physical security of the building, but also the training and education that the, the teachers and staff are getting. See, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. And so I you agree. can have all the metal detectors you want, and you right. can act like the doors are locked, but I've gotten into many a locked door schools Absolutely. without even trying. Right. So the question is, when there is a situation, how what's the response and how does it work? I think that's the that, that seems to me where the where, where the real security, if that's what you want to call it, happens. It's really just education, I suppose. But yeah, and so it came down to planning. Do we have an emergency operation plan in place? Is it you know comprehensive? Is it uh, does it is it an all hazards approach to different types and not just active shooter? That was obviously on everybody's mind, and it still is today. I mean, that was what seven years ago, yeah. and it, and it's still occurring so often that. That's what everyone wants to prepare for. But what about the angry parent? What about the custody dispute? What about the, you know, the fight? So there's many different hazards that come into safety and security of a school building, not just the active shooter. So planning for that, but also training, again, like you said, training the staff to be able to be confident in responding uh, in the event that that something did occur. And that that was, you know, something that I took to heart. And so started changing things in, in the district and not just the school I was in, but the district as a whole. So writing emergency operation plans for every single school, uh, going about training all the staff at every school in active shooter response. Now, are you doing this still wearing the Reynoldsburg badge? I am. I was. Okay. And, and it wasn't part of my job description or do. It was just something I felt. I was going to ask. I was going to ask yeah. what was asked of you from the department and from the school when you whenever you decided to take that job. What what was what 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 did you feel that the expectations of your job were? So I, I think personally, I had a different expectation for myself than what they did. Okay. Um, so typically an SRO is, is, a, is a presence. You're at the school. You're the, the, the resource for the students in the event, you know, from their behavior or f- to the law enforcement side of things, your security, you, you know, assist with investigations. You do all of, the, all of those different things. Today, it's changing, obviously. And back then, that was kind of the expectation is just you're assigned to the school, help out where you can, be present. You know, form relationships, things of that effect. But I took, I, I, I had this heavy sense of responsibility uh, after Sandy Hook happened, and, and it was a personal thing. Of I need to do this, uh, and and the kids deserve it, the teachers and staff deserve it, um, and so again, I, I took it upon myself just to to kind of do those things. And, and what better person to so. do that than you? Because you have eight years of military training, right? For situations that most of us won't experience you know, or weren't even trained under. Sure. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard you, you don't know what you don't know. And it, it's, yeah. it's never more true than, you know, in a situation like that. The teachers and staff and the students don't know what they don't know. And so coming in with that experience, with that um, training that I've had to be able to come in and bring that, those skill sets to increasing the safety of that district as a whole. And that's kind of what I did. So 
And that lasted, uh, well, actually, before we get there, let me ask you another question. Because we've had this, we did a show, actually. We talked about student rights from a constitutional perspective and how that has been impacted in large part by having resource officers stand at the door of the school. And, you know, I, there's no secret what I do for a living, right? I represent people accused of crime. Some sure. of them have done it. Some of them haven't done it. Some of them it's questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they did something, but not what they say they did. Um, but I, I've always said this is that just because you're a kid, you don't check your, and this is not my language, it's the U.S. Supreme Court language, you don't check your constitutional rights at the door when you enter the school. And sure. that's, uh, I, we have kids all the time who get interviewed by resource officers and it's done under the guise of like discipline at school mm-hmm. or where there's a cop in the room. And I always ask this question when it's like, all right, where'd they take you? And they, oh, we went to the Mr. So-and-so's office. He's the vice principal. And what did they do? Oh, they sat me down and then they started talking to me and I'll have to stop them. I say, all right, was the door closed yeah. or was it open? Right. No, it was closed. Uh, was there anybody else in there? Well, you know, uh, officer so-and-so, he's just our, stu- our resource officer and kids are so used to seeing this that they don't, they don't perceive the fact that there's a law enforcement officer there wearing a badge and a gun mm-hmm. any differently than seeing a vice principal there talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the bowl or the pipe they had in their backpack or whatever it was. Right. And it adds a layer of constitutional complexity to the problem it does. when there's a cop there. Um, did you guys get training on it or how do you deal with it? We did. And, and again, that's something that, you know, both school policy has a policy in place and it was something that was known and, and was watched. But also, like I said, the School Resource Officer Association does SRO trainings. And, and so they now have come up with a, uh, like a step, you know, program to where you can become from a basic SRO to a master SRO and depending on experience mm-hmm. and training and whatnot. And so it, it is certainly something that is paid attention to. Yes. Yeah. As soon as you got a cop doing it, changes everything. I mean, that's just. No, it's true. Right. And, and, then, and that was known. Right. Yep. The other side of it, though, is what a great opportunity to sort of uh, show the kids that cops aren't bad people. Right. I mean, it's like. Right. You know, it, uh, and yes. And I think sometimes we focus on the. Well, now kids are going to be charged just because there's an officer in the school. And if there wasn't, they wouldn't have been criminally charged for things. But they miss the aspect of, I don't know how many times a student has had come up to me and said, you know, I, I don't like cops, but I like you. And, and, yeah. I, and I say to them, well, how many cops do you know? I hear that all the time. I don't like lawyers, but I hear it. Exactly. <laughs> and so the question is, well, how many, how, many, how many cops do you know? And the answer was always, well, you know, none. None, right. You're the first. Well, we're people. And if you get to know us and, and you will see that we are just like you, you yeah. know, and so you're right. It, it was to, to create that image or break down the, the stereotype of all, you know, officers are bad or whatever it was or whatever it could have been, but uh, to build those relationships. And that was important. And I suppose, you know, doing what we do, Bill, particularly, it's like we always, I, it, it's an odd juxtaposition. I have two sons and, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they were interviewed, if they got in trouble at school and were interviewed and there's a cop in the room, I would say, keep your freaking mouth shut, dude. Mm-hmm. Don't say a word, right? You can't sure. do it. And at the same time, you also want to teach them some respect for authority. It's just an odd. And then the next question I always get, well, they're going to think I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, they think that already, man. You're in there for a reason, right? They, they're, they're not there so they can prove you innocent, right? Anyway, well, but it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting it, both things can exist at the same time and that can coexist. You, we can, I, I think in the good detectives and police officers and patrol officers that I've dealt with understand that implicitly, if not explicitly, I will talk to them and I'll say, look, you know, my guy's not going to talk. You can, you can give me the song and dance about getting my side of the story all you want, but he's not going to talk. So what are we doing next? And 
it's it still amazes me to this day the blowback I get or the attitude I get from some officers about that where they try to play it like I'm the one accused. Like, oh, come on. You know, oh, we don't get your guy's side of the story. I guess we're stuck with the other side. You know, it's that same old crap. Sure. And uh, the other side of it, though, is by and large, I think most officers are totally cool with it. There's like, all right, no, I get it. I wouldn't do that either. And, and then yeah. we'll go to the next step. Sure. Uh, and then here's the holy grail, though. When we can talk to, and I've done this with school resource officers. Recently, I did this. Mm-hmm. I called up the school resource officer at a play at a school. I'm not going to mention it, but I had the kind of communication that scares the piss out of me because I'm sharing stuff that I wouldn't otherwise if I didn't have a trust relationship, which I I had to sort of assess on the fly. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, however, uh, we reached a, an agreement that made sense for everybody. For the kid, my client, right. For the school, for the police department, and frankly, for the community at large, right. And it was it's those kind of conversations that I think school resource officers can bring to the table and use it because I think here's the here's the other problem I have along those same lines. We've talked about this here at the table too. It's like if you're a parent or if I'm a parent, I'm going to have more of an urge or feel more of a need to quote quote, cooperate, right? I just wanted to cooperate with, you know, I just thought if I just told the school what was going on with my uh, kid's cell phone, for instance, uh, and just gave them the password and the access and everything else, then it would just be better. And at the same time, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you didn't want to do that, right? You know, the fact is there's stuff there that you don't want them to have. Um, And it's those kind of problems that if we can handle that at that level, um, and like I said, serve everybody's needs in some way without compromising people's positions. It's awesome. And that is the benefit of people like school resource officers because it gives, it gives us a, it gives us a point of contact Sure, in, in, on our end. But anyway, I've, I've digressed from your career here. So no, no. I, and I, and I agree. And, and you know, this, there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And so as a school resource officer, even if we were sitting in the room during the interview, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to take that and criminally charge that student. So it could just be, Hey, you need to know that what you did could be construed as illegal but we're here to advise you of that. We're going to let the school handle it from a dis- you know, discipline standpoint, and that's that. So yep. the great, greater majority of the time, when we're there, part of that investigation or talking to them, it, it wasn't to send them to the court system uh, yep. with a criminal charge. They're kids, they're learning, um, and, and SROs know that. So, it, you know, like you said, it's a matter of what's best for the kid and putting them in court, not all the time is necessarily the right thing for the kid, obviously. So, What is, um, I got to guess here what it's going to be. What's the, because I know it's not school shooting scenarios. What is the most frequent, I guess, criminal slash disciplinary problem you ran into at the school? Per, you mean personally from an aspect of me? Just what you saw, yeah. You know, I don't. I, I would, know what I see the most here, so I'm curious what you say. It, and it might be a product of the times and it might be past, but anyway, go ahead. I mean, I, it was a handful it was of all kinds of different things from disagreements between students to threats to social media situations, um, uh, bullying and harassment. Uh, so I, it, you saw it all. I that, saw it. Yeah, that was going to be my question. The, my question was because you, you weren't a screen kid. You didn't, you know, right. when you were in high school and you were in school, you didn't have the, 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 what we, what is out there today right? with, with the, the, my Facebook and the, and the Instagrams and the, you had to see a change in the whole group of kids, way kids were and how they are now. Oh, and it's true. And I think social media plays a huge part in that. And so, and it, and it does. So, it, you know, in our day growing up, if you had a disagreement with somebody, it, you would have to 
face them. Right. You'd have to deal yeah. with it face to face. Today, it's easy for me just to create an account. I don't even have to be who I say I am. And now I can harass this person and watch them as they're tormented by this, not knowing either who it's coming from or not being able to prove who it's coming from. And so that's just one example. But and I then mean, you get a whole right. wave of where other will join on just just to be a part of that wave. Sure. Oh, yeah, because it's it's either funny at the time or they don't see the repercussions later on or and you're right. And so it, it's a battle for school administrators and, and school resource officers to eliminate that, um, especially when you can't get the, you can't make the kids get off their phones. Yeah. And so even if, say, you suspend a kid or send a kid home for making a threat or whatever, they can be at home. And doing the same thing from home, yep. so it's and it so that's a constant battle. You're Were you right. able yeah. to build a relationship with a number of students that, oh, that you felt good with? Hundred percent. Yes, that yeah. you thought because I could see where it would go to where you could really help somebody, letting them know that hey, we're all people, right? Sure. And if you do like me, you like that. I, my neighbor uh, is a Franklin County uh, uh, sheriff. Mm-hmm. He was also a military police. And sometimes I'm going to tell you, I, if, if I'm driving down the road and I'm doing 35 and it, you know, and, and that's the speed limit and there's a, a car pulls up behind me, man, immediately, man, I get nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was a, there was a point in time, like right after I had a situation, police officers would make me very, very nervous. Like, I mean, I would shake. I mean, I, I did not want to deal with it. In my mind, I always told myself, I just changed it with Chris. Right, that officer is now Chris. That officer is now Chris. Whenever I see, if I saw a uniform come up, I just had to remember my neighbor. Be like, we hang out all the time. You know, what I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm yeah. totally fine with this guy. So, with the ability to give kids somebody to replace the face, right? When an officer is walking up, hopefully they can put your face there, and it will make things go smoother on both the officer's end and on their end. I mean, that's, that, that's kind of got to be a part. Yeah. I don't oh, know yeah. how you, well you look into that. That would help, you know what I mean, with, with, the, with the officer at the class. I think, what, I think what you had to say earlier is about as telling as anything I heard, right? I, I hate all cops except for you. Mm. You know, you're different. Sure. And then how many cops do you know? Well, just you. Right. <laughs> right. It happened quite often. Right. And, and the reverse is probably true. You probably like most of them and maybe hate a few of them. And look, there's assholes all over the world, right? Whether you wear a badge or not, you're still, there's assholes out there. And, you know, there's certain people you're just not going to get along with or like or certain bad people in any job. But it's usually it's usually the majority of folks are good. And then right. the handful of bad ones sort of spoil it all. And, and maybe just getting kids access to a role model that happens to be a police officer, maybe that's how you do it, right? Maybe that's how you break that that stereotype. I agree with you. And most people see cops as an enforcer. Uh, in an enforcement role. Yep. And so that's a negative, typically a negative enforcement role. Uh, so to be just another staff member at the school where they're going to see me every morning, they're going to see me at lunchtime, they're going to see me at dismissal, and not once am I going to enforce anything, uh, that it sort of builds that relationship. Mm-hmm. It changes that to where it's like, yeah, that's that guy's, you know, I guess not all cops are bad. So it, it really is no different, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, than a racial stereotype or a gender stereotype sure. or any other stereotype you're going to have. It's like, well, yeah, I know, but I know that guy, and he's pretty cool, or I know that gal, and she's pretty cool, and it's like, all right, you know, you just don't right. you just want you to get to know everybody before you judge people, so that's, a, that's maybe a better way to do it. By the way, my thing I see all the time, maybe it's a product of times of his child porn on kids' phones. It's like yes. every kid yes. and their boyfriend and girlfriend is sending the dick pic or the naked pic or whatever it is, and then uh, next thing you know, the whole football team has it Absolutely. or the wrestling yeah. squad has it, and, and it goes around the district. It just seems like... 
in this day and age, when did you graduate high school? 2000. 2000. All right. I graduated in 88. If somebody had a camera at any party that I ever was, I would have smashed into smithereens, <laughs> and then there would have been a fight. I probably would have lost, but there would have been a fight. <laughs> right. Now, it, it, to some extent, that's true. I and mean, it's like it, now they're documenting everything and sending pictures of themselves in, in, in ways right. that I would never, even as an adult, I'm a 48-year-old man, mm-hmm. I would never send a naked picture of myself, even to my wife. I just wouldn't do it. Right. right? So it's, it's, a, it's such an odd thing as, and I'm, I'm curious what your impression was. You didn't grow up in that era. You look no. back on that era, so it's it's got to be just a weird change of attitude. It is, and it, it again, it comes down to I don't understand how you know a, a kid would feel comfortable in even doing that. But it's a product of the times, like you said, and it, it is a problem, and it's a problem in every every, every school district around here. Yeah. And to and a so, point, they should do that at a rally at the school. Hey, everybody, welcome. Did they do? Absolutely. Do. Oh, I, I was going to say. Seminars I mean, all the time. I do, seminars, I do, do those, right. Really? Just yeah. be like, the kids don't, just don't, don't, they, don't they do don't the think. ding pick because you're manufacturing and, and producing child pornography. So yeah. I have a presentation. Even if it's you. you I tell my daughter, I, do, yeah. I said, if you send something out there, which I don't think she ever would, but if you send someone out there, guess what? Your principal's probably going to see it. Yeah. You know, do you want your print? And that sure. kind of like gets Maybe the kids good, a little bit like, you know, it's true. But it, yeah, I have a presentation that, I mean, we saw it quite often, like you said, and it got to be a problem. So I developed a presentation as an SRO from a cop perspective and here's the legalities of it, but not only the, the uh, consequences legally, but the social consequences as well. Yeah. The whole football team and, and the bullying and the, the harassment that comes from it. So I developed a presentation and started giving it to high school. And now we went down to our middle schools. And so other school districts in the area have asked me to come out and give the presentation. So that's part of something I rolled into the company when I started it is continuing on to provide that service. This and is part of the arc. And I hope, yes. it, yep. and I hope it works. But I remember in high school, I can't remember her name. I'll bet you, I'll bet you my buddy would remember. But anyway, <laughs> she came in and she gave us this speech on, it was, a, it was an assembly. None of us had any idea of what the heck it was about, but oh, we're getting out of class. We go to the gym, we get an assembly. And it's a, it's a woman in there talking about alcohol and why we shouldn't drink and how awful it is. And, you know, I don't remember anything that she had to say except one rhetorical question, which didn't, I didn't care one way or another, but she's like, she asked all right, women, do you, do you all know how many calories are in a rum and Coke? <laughs> <laughs> You that know, was her motivator. Was, and it, it's <laughs> like, it didn't stop me. And it didn't stop any of the gals that I knew that were, right. that were partying. But it was an interesting. It's like you try everything you can to try to get the point across that, look, this, this one's really serious. We really mean it this time. So we'll try to put it in terms that would make sense to you. Everybody still drank. Sure. You know? and it's like, no, I get it. And everybody's still taking pictures. It's like we try, 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 try. Maybe you catch a handful and they, they won't do it. Right. But they're probably the ones that wouldn't do it anyway. So I, I, I think I just sent, I sense that kids look at it now like, don't speed. They're like, well, that's just parents talking, you know, it's not that big a deal. And then they end up in my office. The consequences are so much greater though. No, and I agree. And it, and especially legally. Legally, uh, you know, a sex offender registry. I mean, I've never had that happen, knock on wood for a kid sending that kind of thing, but I've had it threatened to the point where it was a big problem. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you're looking at a a felony, you know, felony charge of of child pornography. So it's juvenile court. And if you're eight, if you're over 18, then heaven forbid, you're still dating your 17 year old cheerleader girlfriend. Right. And and that, those are the things we talk about. So I don't know if that's enough of a motivator, but they, they don't know the legal aspects of it. They just don't know because no one sat down and told them. So to be able to get in front of them and say, Hey, you do this. Here's the crime. Here's what the the potential consequences, like you said, sex offender registry. I I don't know. You know, I I don't either. And I know this though. It's like in my, in my business, it seems to me by and large, the threat of prison or the threat of retribution as far as for the criminal behavior is rarely a deterrent. Really? Okay. Like most people Mm -hmm. who are going to commit crimes are just either going to do it or it's a moment of, of, 
whatever of drunkenness or a moment of, of, of passion in one way or another, and it just sort of happened and it's done, yeah. and nobody really stops to think about the consequences yeah. at the time. And I, I just don't think people have the, have the foresight to see that. Mm-hmm. And maybe those that do, we never see those people because they don't do it, right? So it's like it does work for a lot of people, but maybe just the who knows. But sure. Anyway, so now tell us about ARC. What's the deal there? How did this all happen? Well, from the SRO position, uh, I was making a lot of changes in the district, writing emergency plans, going around doing the trainings, uh, increasing the safety drills at all the schools, and I was kind of overseeing a lot of these things. Uh, the district was paying attention to this, and, and they offered me, they actually created a director of safety and security position at the school district for me and offered me a job. So I had a decision to make, and that was to leave the police department uh, and, and go on full-time at the school district or just stay as an SRO. So obviously I, I, took the, uh, I took the job. I resigned my commission at the police department at the time uh, and started with the school district full-time as the director of safety and security. So you, they, you end up going to work for the school. Yeah, so I resigned, go to work uh, at the school district as the director of safety, and I was there for, for several years. And uh, it, it came to a point where my military uh, benefits – for college were set to expire and I don't have a degree. Uh, and so that's something that I wanted. And I have, I think two or three years remaining on my benefits before they're gone. So it was either use them or lose them. Gotcha. So I made, I made a big, I made a bold move and I made a big step and, uh, hopefully in the future it'll benefit me. But I took a, I took a step back. I resigned from the school district after about being there for three years. Uh, and I'm in school full time and started a business, uh, on the side doing the same, essentially the same things. So emergency planning, preparedness, safety training, things like that. So just consulting with other schools in the area? Uh, Not just schools, but so far my my clients have been mostly churches. Oh, really? Really? Nice. Yeah. So so churches, businesses, yeah. Uh, What, if you're, do you have a website? I do. What's the website? Uh, It's arcsafetyconsulting.com. ArcSafetyConsulting.com. Um, and what, is, what are your resources? Do you, is it just you now? Do you have other folks working with you? What's uh, How's it go down? Uh, it's just me. So you'll see on the website, though, that my wife is listed as well, uh, you know, yep. as, assisting with things uh, on the no, I get yeah, it, business right. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got those people too. Right? Not the least of which is my wife. Right. No, but I, uh, so it's just me currently. Yep. So I, you know, I've, if a client, you know, wants an assessment of vulnerability, you know, something, look at their, their, business or church or school for vulnerabilities and then I mean, as we just saw and, on the news was it three or four days ago you know the gentleman who's got fired brought the brought, brought the weapon in at the manufacturing plant there in aurora, in aurora. Illinois. yeah i'll yeah. be i'll be up there uh next week at a church in aurora well, I mean, is that right yeah 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 so so you go into so walk me through your thought process as say you walked into my building Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I do this all the time in, in the course of what I do for a living. And it, it, there was a time I used to, uh, I like to build out. There was a time I did that. So I still do that. I look around rooms and I look at the different construction stuff. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that when you walk into a place like this, is, it, is, it, is your mind always going? It's like security. What would I do or how would it work? And, it, it does. And I think that that even beyond just the, the uh, company itself, but just from years of experience and being trained, you know, but so I'm, I'm quite often paranoid, you know, just looking around, seeing what. Like I can't sit with my back to the door typically can't, in a can't restaurant. Do it. Can't do it in yeah. a restaurant. Um, where are the exits Steve at? had the same problem. Yeah. No, we I, walk in, we're both like, well, no, I, I, uh, right. right. We're going to need that table. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I get yeah. it. I completely understand. So, yes, but I mean, even walking into a building, access control, which, like you said, if someone really is is desiring to commit a crime on that property, they're going to they're going to do it, whether there's good access control or not. But there's layers. So when I look at things, we just look at the layers of security. So from the exterior to the door, so the access control, and it comes down to like we talked about before is 
the staff are going to be the ones that are going to make the difference. They're, it's how are they trained to respond? Yep. Um, are they confident in how they're responding? You know, are there policies or plans or um, pre- preparedness measures in place that they're aware of? Uh, and I think that that's really where where the how do comes you down to. because it seems it just seems sort of fundamentally simple to me, but I can also understand why it wouldn't necessarily be apparent to every, to every company out there. It's like how do people know or how do you tell people or get the message across that maybe you do need a little bit of security planning? Like how does a church understand all of a sudden one day, wow, we better do something here? Uh, it's a great um, question. And I, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I think that some are just more uh, security aware than others. Uh, like you'll go into churches today and most churches will have safety teams. Yeah. They'll have safety teams in place, um, whether they're, they have a good system on how to uh, hire or, or, uh, man that safety team, whether there's background checks. I mean, there's a lot of that goes into that, but there's churches that are trying because they see there's a need. And so I don't know at what point it gets to, we need to have someone come in and do some training or we need to take a look at this. Well, news um, events, like the, meeting, right. I mean, the synagogue sure. in Pittsburgh, I'm, I think yeah. that sparked a lot of churches what? looking at, and I was out, wow, we need to do something. I was Let's, out in Murraysville uh, right yeah, after that, yeah. which is right next door to, to Squirrel Hill. But I was out at a church in Murraysville. Same, same questions. This mm-hmm. happened right down the road. We need someone to come out and take a look at this and tell us what we don't know. Um, it's interesting to me that it would start. I was actually a little bit surprised. I, I confess that when you said your your churches are one of the biggest clients you have, it's yeah. like it's odd, right? You don't hear about churches right. getting attacked very often. I mean, obviously, you hear the the what you're talking about, yeah. Bill, but it's like, man, it's, it just seems weird that churches would feel the need. It's sort honestly, of sad, you actually, do. I the, do. I, I do. I remember yeah. when I was going to the Lamb of God there off Sunbury Road. I remember that uh, somebody broke in. You know, stole the TVs, robbed. I mean, they, they get robbed a lot. You know, I mean, maybe, you know, I mean, they Burtled, get right? just so they, you know, they break yeah. ins and. Right. Uh, man, it just seems like it just sucks. I, I think, <laughs> well, no, I agree with you, but I church think, ought to be church. You just leave the damn yeah. churches alone. Right. right. I don't care what religion you are. Uh, but unfortunately, we're, in, we're living in a time to where bad people are wanting to make a statement, make it. And when you have people congre- congregating anywhere, whether that's a business, a concert, uh, you know, a school, they're going to go where those people are, are congregating. And so churches have become easy targets. Um, and it, it, it's up to those churches, those pastors, those safety teams, those deacons to take a, take a step back and say, okay, what, what can we do to improve the safety and security of our, and protect our, protect the flock, so to speak. So what do you tell sort of the, what I'm going to call, maybe this is the wrong term. You said there's different layers, but what do you tell the layer of individuals who just don't want anything to do with it. Like I know there's people in my building here where if I said, all right, we have weapons on premise and they're going to be here, 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 and here. And, and they would just say, I don't want to know anything about it. I don't, I don't care. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I, it just is what it is. Now I, you know, here I have a back entrance and I have different ways. And I, mm-hmm. I actually do have this conversation with everybody that starts to work here. It's like, all right, we have the following security measures here, which sure. are hardly any. But uh, I don't want to say that. There are some, actually. But it, but there's always an escape. I always tell people, here's how you get the hell out of Dodge. Oh, sure. And that seems like the most important thing to me. You would be amazed at how many people working in, e- in either church's business, doesn't matter, business, or even a school that come in and out of the same door every single day, yeah. have for many, many, many years, and in the event they needed to evacuate out another door, they wouldn't know where to go. And that's in the bu- building they work in. And yeah. so... It, that, that's that's crazy. I tell it? my, but it's true. But yeah, yeah, absolutely true. It's always another. I tell my daughter this all the time. I don't know when I started telling her, but I'm like, if you're in a restaurant, and someone comes in, there's always a back door yeah. in the kitchen. The kitchen has a door. Absolutely, go straight yeah. to the kitchen right. and get out the exit there. Right. Don't go to the same door everyone else is flocking to. <laughs> right. You know. Have you thought about 
now I'm just spitballing business ideas. But have you thought about, I mean, it seems like I have two kids and they would benefit probably a lot from things that you could teach them. Mm-hmm. And almost to the point where you could provide, I, I, I'm actually thinking I would like to gather a group of, of kids that, uh, and their friends and, and we, I would hire you to come mm-hmm. in and say, how do you handle a school, sh- a school shooting scenario? Or how do you handle a scenario like Bill, you're talking about at a restaurant right. or how do you handle a scenario even where you're getting bullied or where you're getting this? Cause sure. you, you have insight into all that. Right. And, uh, I, you know, it's, I hate to say it, but if you ask my kids, I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, they don't, yeah. the dad doesn't know shit. Right? Sure. Dad, dad, just, yeah. I mean, he didn't, you're, you're big on that. You're big on helping people out, Steve. I mean, from your kids to your clients. <laughs> And your clients' yeah. families, I've seen you, you know, I mean, help try to further them along and keep them out. Yeah, keep of, them out. Of right. doing good or understanding why this happened to them. Yeah, I mean, one of my philosophies is, and I, I imagine this this would ring true, is that I, if somebody is at my office, I don't look at it like I have a textbook job to defend them for some crime. Sure. Which I do, right? But I think I think my job is bigger than that one. I think my job is really this person has a problem. Somehow this problem started. I don't know how, but I need to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And then once I figure that out, I can I can help them solve their problem. And that may be different than defending the crime. It might be, include defending the crime, right? But Bill's heard you've heard me say this a thousand mm-hmm. times. Like, yep, I want to solve your problem so you don't have another one. That you right. don't come back with more problems, right? Yeah. Uh, if we don't solve the problem, and that might be uh, the substance abuse problem, which might be premised upon like in a veteran. We, we had a veteran that we helped out recently. Mm-hmm. Who had some PTSD issues mm. and clearly was drinking as a result of it. Sure. And it, you know, I just think too many lawyers don't do that. And maybe, maybe too many cops or everybody in their job just like, I look was at just this picture. That, yeah. You know, it's like it's, they didn't get here by right. mistake, right? There's, there's a design here of some sort. You miss the human element. And I think that it's, it's yeah. crucially important that these are people. And just like you, when they have a problem or they have an issue, or for my company, they're coming to me because they don't feel safe or they want to feel safe. Yep. Um, and so you, ha- you have to see the human element. And that bringing a bunch of kids together and giving them the training and the knowledge and just helping them out with that could make it that that's the one kid within the 10 that helped everybody else out. That helped everybody else out. Sure. And maybe the because other. Because he was prepared. You and, know, and you're, you're not lucky. You had the proper preparation. I mean, it really is all about preparation, right? It's, it's, like, it's like, there, there's know. no such thing as lucky. It's, yeah. You know I mean? Proper preparation. Yeah. I mean, it just <laughs> and that's, is. That's how I came up with the name of the company of ARC is, you know, if, if something bad is going to happen, you prepare beforehand, yeah. right? Build the you arc. build the ARC before yeah. the storm comes. What a great, so what that's, a great that's, analogy. That's, yeah, like that's that. how the name of the company came about. So Yeah. I really like the idea of having somebody, having you particularly come in and talk to a group of kids and parents about... You know, outside the purview of the school, I mean, anybody who's listening to the show sort of knows what I feel about government forcing stuff on people. I just don't think it works. Sure. I think as soon as, as, soon as some authority tells me I have to do it and it's the government, there's always a skepticism that goes with it. Right. Um, right. And if, if, on the other hand, it's organic and it comes from just normal people, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it, maybe it means something more. So to get a group of private folks together in a community as opposed to forcing it down somebody's throat at the school assembly where you're just happy to get out of school. Right. You know, <laughs> right. Like, you know. Right. Do you have uh, any feelings on properly trained, uh, armed teachers? I thought that might come up today. It is a hot issue. And I think that there's more, and there's, there are multiple I sides to this. Right. I didn't say an armed teacher because I don't believe that, you gotta, that they should all be armed. Yes. And I mean, it, teachers are good at teaching and, 
as a law enforcement officer, there's a lot of training that goes into you know, weapons handling. One week program, right? Weapons retention. Say that again? <laughs> yeah, one week, one, week one, program. one week program, right? No, no, no. I think I know that one program. <laughs> and I went, I went through that. It's the same program I actually went through that um, just to see what it was about. And it was actually really, I, I don't know if you're still talking about the same, if we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, but, we're yeah. talking about te- training. Te- is there a one yes. week teacher training program? Yeah. I'm curious about it. it yes. Um, what, what is the, what was it called? Which one are you? I, I mean, I didn't take it. I just, this is in reports that I heard that they had, they had enlisted, uh, I think it was in Florida, they were saying that they are going to allow them to have it if they took this one-week program. Right. I don't, I don't know what the program enlisted. I just knew that the teachers were getting a one-week program. Okay. That was all that I'd heard. I, if you've taken it, I have there taken is a, one. There is one and it, here in Ohio, and it is a one-week program. And, it, I mean, it, and I'm, I'm being just truthful be honest, when I say honest, this. Right? this it, is, it was this some is... of the best training I've ever been through. Oh, really? And this <laughs> is coming from a guy wow, who's I've... been through... And an unbelievably amount of, of training, you know, in wow. the military. And it was phenomenal. Um, and it was it was up in Ripman, Ohio is where I went to take it. Um, and it was phenomenal training. Do, do I think that... Did you go to the Salt Box? Is that still in Ripman, Ohio? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a pub there, Bill. It's a mm. nice one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know what you're talking because, about. Because That's Morton's, Morton's right there. Morton's right. up there. They call it the Salt Box. It's not a place where you want to go act like a jackass <laughs> because you'll be taught... The playground justice. Less, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought you were talking about Morton, but yes, <laughs> it, it was. We were right by there, but um, and so there's a lot of training, and and what I'm trying to get at is that from weapons retention, uh, a teacher's up teaching whether they use the restroom, where are they going to put the gun. I mean, there's a lot of things that come into, you know, weapons handling, weapons retention, but not only that, from a marksmanship standpoint, you know, of of mm. you know the site alignment, the site picture, the site acquisition, that all of these different things that come into being a proper marksman, but also knowing your backdrop. So you get a, a very stressful situation, a very high level of stress. Your, your fine motor skills are depleted because of so much adrenaline and panic. Are, are they trained enough to know what's behind the target when they're shooting? Um, and so could we create, you know, additional problems because of that? Just one example of, of a multiple of different things. But at the same time, and I don't want to get away from the fact that how do we stop a bad guy with a gun? Typically, he's a good guy with a gun, right? Yeah. And so we rely on we'll call 911, wait for the police to get there. But we're seeing that these are typically over before the police arrive. Sure. And so we're getting high numbers of victims um, waiting minutes. And so it comes down to the proper training of the students, proper training of the staff. How are we responding? Are we responding properly? Um, and then if we do have arm, arm teachers, what, are, what is their background? Do they have the proper training, the skills necessary to um, ensure that they're not introducing a weapon into a situation where there wouldn't be one? Um, but also that they could properly end that situation in, in the event it happened. Yeah, so that's, there, it's something, a, that's something there too. Introducing the gun when it's not needed, which could be, it could, and I've could even be problematic. Seen, I've even yeah. seen elements of safes, biometric safes within hallways. So it's it's a box, and I can't even tell you the company, but it's a box that's in the hallway, biometric fingerprint opening box, but it has a weapon in there, and only certain staff who are trained can then activate that box to open it huh. to get the weapon. And you know, kind of like pulling a fire alarm or whatever the case is. Um, so, I mean, that's an idea that takes away the whole weapons retention concerns and, um, but it still comes down to proper training of those individuals. And you're you're so correct about people's adrenaline responses and, and how that impacts performance in really all levels, right? All areas, you know, I, I have, whether I've been hunting or whether I play play classical guitar, I've had to perform. I mean, it is, it is, I'm here to tell you when that starts, you can't control it. Right. And once it gets over its peak. You're done. I mean, and if you think, like you said, fine motor skills are gone. Gone. It is gone. I had a coworker um, who was raised. Her both of her parents were law enforcement. Um, very uh, safety savvy. You know, she was. She's great. And so, 
she always thought that in an emergency situation, I could, I, I, my mindset is there, I'm going to respond right. Well, her daughter had a medical situation and uh, unexpectedly, and she grabbed her phone to call 911. Because of the panic and the adrenaline, she came to me the next day. And she's like, Nick, I couldn't even unlock my phone mm-hmm. to dial 911. Mm-hmm. Like, my, I just couldn't, I, I do it 100 times a day. But because I was in such a panic at that moment, I couldn't even unlock my phone to dial 911. Yep. And so, I mean, it comes back to that same concern. And, and there's all sorts of psychology about how you deal with that. Like performing artists will even take beta blockers and different things because they, they, there's, once it starts, you can't control it. Right. And really the only thing that actually is effective is experience, right? So, and the more you experience it, the more you can learn to operate under those conditions. And guys like us or people like teachers don't ever have to do it. Right. And therefore they have no experience. And like you're, like what you just described, who would think right now that if their child needed attention, it would be difficult to dial 911. Nobody would even perceive that as a problem. Correct. Until it happens. Until it happens. And then it is. And you're just like. I never even thought of that. I never, yeah. never even thought of it. And, you know, the good news is and the bad news is, it, you know, the adrenaline rush usually is about 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. And then people will come down. Like, it, it, like that's chemically, it can't last that very long. Mm-hmm. But in the context of a school shooting, it's over, right? That's over. it. Yeah. yeah that's well, the 15, bad 15 minutes. 20 minutes is yeah. an oh, unbelievable yeah. amount of time. Yep. And so to, to, I guess, back up on that question, do I think it's a terrible idea? No, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I just think that there's there's a lot of conversations that need to happen around who it is, proper training, and why not just hire some retired police like officer right, <laughs> that know? could be armed in the school. They don't have to teach. They've been through the training. They know right. the experience. Um, and, and it's just an additional staff. So there's, you know what I mean? They, there's well, more like, questions and, and discussions a, that need to happen. Oh, you know, for sure. And yeah. it seems to me there is going to be a pool of candidates who are retired law enforcement, retired military, or people who have had the training and experience. I can't stress that enough because training really right. isn't enough. Sure. Um, you know, I'm not telling you a job. I'm just talking generically. No, I agree. Bit, I agree. Um, who maybe could still be a teacher, right? I mean, it doesn't, it's like, right. you know, it, it, or just be there or something. And it seems like the budget. Like in a watchtower. Yeah, up in a lot. Most of you make guard towers and build walls. <laughs> You're right. Did you, talk, did you bring up the wall just now? We're not talking about the wall. Today. I'm out of that one. Right. Uh, but I'm going to bring in another one. Um, gun control. So what's this? I mean, do, do you perceive? I mean, here's 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 what I here's what it seems to be the debate is if you just didn't have any guns, then there wouldn't be school shootings. And I, I suppose on one level that is categorically true. Um, so let's just implement more gun control and prevent school shootings. Um, what's your thought? I'm going to put you on the spot. I mean, when I went without to school, taking a political when, position, when just I, tell me the debate. When I was going to school, especially in the Ozarks, uh, during hunting season, there would be guns in racks in the truck. Yeah, in the same, parking my lot. My school as well. In right. the parking lot. Yep. None of those guns ever killed anybody. Then. Now people can shoot people, but guns don't shoot people. Yeah. I don't think we have a gun problem. I think we have a society problem. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, I think so too. Schools are gun-free zones. Is that stopping school shootings? No, of course not. Right? Well, of course not, because it, it, if a bad guy wants to do something bad, they'll find the means to do it. And so, if, could we? ban all guns and the government collect everything. I mean, it, it's, it's theoretically impossible yes. um, for that to occur. And so if we put stricter gun control in place and um, better background checks or whatever the case is, there's still going to be guns available. And so do I think that banning all guns or banning all weapons is going to solve the problem? I do not. I think, I think it goes back to exactly what he just said, that it, it, this is a, uh, society it's a societal, yeah, it's a society problem. It's a, it's a mental health problem, so to speak. And so yep. why not 
why don't we think more about threat assessments versus stricter gun control? So why don't we identify these individuals before it becomes, you know, the, the pull of the trigger um, and get them the help that they need and then track them through that help better than what we are today rather than taking an approach of removing the, the device in which they're, they're making this happen. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like it's way too convenient of an avenue to jump right to a political hot topic issue to say gun control is going to fix this. Right. And really, it, let's, just, let's just make it a widget, right? I mean, a weapon's a weapon's a weapon's a weapon, and it's going to do a lot less damage for sure if it's not a semi-automatic weapon that can, uh, with 30 rounds. On the other hand, it's still a problem. And uh, so I guess maybe, maybe a lot of every, or some of everything maybe is the solution, but uh, to have, I, I've just seen more and more and more and more shirking of responsibility to deal with like what the real problem is. And mm -hmm. I think we all have a tendency as humans to do that. It's like, we're screwing up somewhere. Right. Right. Sure. Let's blame something else and not look in the mirror. And as a parent, I have to force myself every day to do this. It's like, all right, right. Dumbass, you've got a job to do here. You don't get to take a break, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to be a parent all the time and you've got to somehow, all right, so your kids are doing this or doing that. You don't get to take a break. You got to figure it out. Um, but you said something else there. It's going to jump, get me right to another thing that, that, that bugs me. Here. It's like you said, you said, why don't we identify those who might do it mm -hmm. and then get them the help they need. And then what you said after that is the most telling thing and then follow them through every right. step to see that what's going to happen and, and then they, they get through it. Mm -hmm. um, I have dealt with this in a, in a very real way mm -hmm. and represented folks who have, who have been accused of planning or wanting to do a school vi or a violent act at school, whether it's a shooting or otherwise. Sure. Everybody who I have encountered would say probably what you said. You know, let's, get the, let's identify the kids, get them the help they need, and man, you know, let, let's do the right thing here. As soon as there's a plan or somebody identifies a plan, well, you've done the first part. You've identified a kid. Right. Um, but then it goes off the rails. Right. And then, then the politics, then the media, then, then everybody's uh, hue and cry, the ire of the community, whatever you want to call it, uh, jumps on the bandwagon and they just say, that kid ought to go to prison forever. Uh, that kid ought to be killed. That kid ought to be this. That kid ought to be that. And it, it's uh, – it, nothing – pisses me off more than to hear somebody chastise a kid they don't know. Right. Uh, and, and really that's the same as saying, well, my kid wouldn't do that. <laughs> and how many school shooter parents you think uh, thought that right. their kid wouldn't do it? All, right? of, all of them. All of, all them. of them. Yeah. And, and in, in one case particular I worked on that, that has stuck in my crawl and still does, uh, the help they need part completely, utterly, the system completely, utterly failed in that regard. Sure. Um, and it was a good kid, right? A good kid. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. It was a good kid, uh, because I got to know the kid and I got to know the kid's problems. And I got, I got to know sort of what, what went on in that kid's life and, and, and how and why and what, you know, and it's usually pretty simple psychology at the bottom of it. You know, you're right. It really is. And, uh, but they identify it, then it falls through the cracks and then it manifests into a violent behavior into violent behavior, right? right? Or, and then, and then what do you do about it? Well, let's just go, that kid ought to be executed, send him to prison, you know? Right. And I'm here to tell everybody who's listening, you can send people to prison all you want, but guess what? They get out. <laughs> and if you're going to send a 17, 16-year-old kid to prison, he or she is going to get out. And the question is, what have you created and what opportunity is lost? Well, when you in, take a 16, 17-year-old kid and now his role models or people look up to that he is surrounded with every day, 
are in a prison system. He's going to assimilate. Yeah. You, you have to. I mean, you cannot, you, you know what I mean? Because he has to survive. He is going to get down to where he has to survive and especially where they're going to place him. Yeah. I mean, in a full on, you know what I mean? Adult male prison with violent, violent offenders, especially somebody you wrote a letter, you know what I mean? And you found it out. It's like good. That's good news. Right. We have found a problem. It's the like, solution is not to send him away for seven years at, from 17. To, and then when he gets out, where is he, he going to be? Do you remember the movie? It was with um, Tom Hanks, I believe, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It was, it was about the Afghan Tom War. Tom Hanks. He hasn't done anything good since Booze and Buddies, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, was, it, was about the, it was about the Afghan War. Well, uh, Char- Uncle Charlie, or uh, Charlie's Charles War. War. Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah. Tra- uh, Uncle Charlie. He was in uh, uh, My Three Sons. Wasn't Uncle Charlie? <laughs> Maybe not. I don't back. Um, but anyway, they talk, he was talking about Afghanistan. And the, at the end, the end they, they, they had defeated the Russians in Afghanistan in, in cinematic Hollywood fashion. And there's Philip Seymour Hoffman talking. He was the CIA guy or whoever it was that was helping Charlie Wilson. And he's sitting there drinking his drink. And um, it, 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 I, he kept asking these sort of rhetorical questions about now what, now what, now what, now what. And then Charlie Wilson had a quote at the end. It's like, yeah, we did great things and we fucked up the end game, you know? And it's like, that's what happened in, sure. in the case I'm talking about. That's exactly what the system did. They did an awesome job. There was an identification of a potential problem and whether that would have ever happened. I don't know. Fortunately, as I've told the, the courts and everybody, we don't have to find out. Right. We do know what happened. Nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. Now, what do we do about it? Are, are we going to use it as a, as a, as a means to create education, to create um, a psychological help or anything else that we can do to help not only the kid involved or and others, but also others, I suppose. Or do you just pound the table and say, "Yeah, we did our we did our job. Let's pat ourselves on the back. Good job, guys. Send them to prison, and off we go." And forget about it. That's sadly, that is what we do in our in our world, right? And and it's all about taking responsibility instead of looking for. Uh, I guess the the media sensationalism to say we were tough on crime and we we did this we did that. Uh, there's always more to it, but anyway, I, I knew I was going to get on my soapbox. Yeah. But I, I, as soon as I heard this, as soon as, as, soon as he heard threat assessment, we were like threat assessment model. We know what I that know all is. about the Virginia threat yeah. assessment. Do you know about? Yeah. I do. Oh, yeah. Yes, and so I, and that's the next logical. I think the next logical approach, and it should be here in Ohio. Colorado has the same thing. Yeah, is this th- mm-hmm. you know this threat assessment model of planning, tracking, and ensuring that they're Again, not just slip through the cracks and we identified you, we got you into counseling, and that's that. Um, right. There has to be more. And so that. There has to be more. And here's the irony, though. Here's the irony. Um, the threat assessment model, to the extent that nothing happened in the case I'm talking about, was effective. Let's just give mm-hmm. it that. Let's just say okay. that it would have happened. Uh, I'm, I take huge issue with that. But let's just say that it would have happened. Sure. But because we had some astute folks in the FBI and others who had, had training on this Virginia threat assessment model, mm-hmm. uh, they were able to identify and prevent. All right. Well, then I, the irony is they then used the system or the system then uses that model to say, well, uh, he was so he was very violent. Yeah, he's this, he's that, he's that, he's a bad guy. So he should be bound over and tried as an adult. So they took the model and really turned it on its ear, used it for a purpose that it wasn't created uh, to serve and then use it incorrectly, right? So it's sure. like use it to decide the psychology of a kid who's old enough or not old enough to be treated as an adult and then forget about the end game, which is uh, where's the help? You know, where's, right. the, where's, where's right. the stop? But anyway, um, 
Right, somebody else better take it over. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Get on the soapbox here. Did you have any situations in Reynoldsburg when you were there that came close, or that 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 anybody you know found and helped anybody out, or anything that you know of? It, you know, if we were very, I, I would say we were very aware, very heightened to. Uh, I think because of the training that was brought to them, the planning, we discussed it all the time. I mean, I would send out emails uh, towards the end weekly about just safety considerations and things. So I think that our staff played a big role. Um, and if anybody made a threat, anything came up, I mean, we were we were on it. And I, we brought that threat assessment you know, model uh, towards the end before I left to where we don't need to just make sure that these kids are getting you know, a, a counselor, but we need to track them through and make sure that it's not manifesting into a into a violent action. So, um, to answer your question, no. Uh, That's good. And, and again, <laughs> I mean, again, yeah. I don't, I don't know at, at what point did we interview a kid and and get involved in his life to where we prevented anything from. You know, you, you, you just never you measure it. You can't measure deterrence. Right? There's right. no re- there's no right. reward for that. Right. That's right. the problem. Right. There is no reward for uh, the deterrence part of it. It sure. just either is or it isn't. You never know half the time. I mean, it's like you look back on your life at different times, and I look back on my life at different things that have happened, and I think, man, if that goes that direction, it's a whole different game. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a different place, but absolutely. Uh, who we've, knows? We've had the conversation in here about the carry concealed. Yeah. You know, we've had multiple of them, and uh, I've always said that too because you hear the stories; they're, they're full of BS. And it's like, man, if I'd have been there. If I would have been there, and I was like, if you'd have been there, you'd have done nothing, right? All right, I mean, easy, or, right. or you, you'd have missed, and, and <laughs> but then even over that, what are you going to do when the law arrives and you have a gun in your hand? Yeah, that's who it. are you? Yeah. Oh, I know, I, and you that's know another I mean? who, that's another consideration on that whole because absolutely, and it just happened. We, we we went over the whole story about the the young man that his friends had been shot is right outside of the mall, you know, and now they show right? up. Yep, and and. You know, they shot him. Right. Well, he had a gun. There is a live shooting going on. There's and, and law enforcement has showed up. There's there's a guy with a gun and he was running over, you know, and, and they want to call different calls on that. And I've said this, especially he put the gun down. You shoot somebody in your house. They broke into your house. You shoot them on the stairwell. You call 911. Guess what? You're taking a ride. Right. <laughs> because right. that is a crime scene. You know, another that just gives me another thought. It's like if you thought about taking your model, because I, I really am impressed with with the notion of it. It's like you, the way you sort of unlock the layers of, of, of threat assessment and how to deal with situations. It's almost like, uh, and I know some of these things exist, right? There's additional training for people who have a right to carry or their licensed to carry a concealed handgun, mm-hmm. um, that's like a one-day deal now, half of it online. Right. It's like, what are you going to learn in that? It's like, so, so to really, uh, it, honestly, if you're walking around carrying a gun and you've never, you've had one day of training, it's mm-hmm. like, it's worse almost. Right, right. right. It's almost worse. Almost. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do with I it? I think right? there should be a score at a range that you have to hit before they issue it to you as but, well. But even so, I mean, it, you could be a really good shot, but that doesn't mean you're going to handle yeah. that weapon correctly. No, correct. or, you know, that's, so no you're right. And, I, and I, I'll be the one to tell you that, I mean, I've been through hundreds of qualifications over, my, over the years. Yep. And, and shooting a static target is relatively easy. It's, it doesn't move. There's, you know, there's, it's low stress. Yeah. You're, Yep. Just standing there, you know, pulling the trigger, and it, it's relatively easy. As soon as that target moves, or you add an element of stress to that, it's a different ball game completely. How do you train for that? What, what's the what's the technique to train folks to to deal with a real life scenario? I guess there's live training exercises where stuff pops up. Or <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I used to love to hunt rabbits. Right, right. I mean, there's yeah, some, not, I not because I got a ton of them because they were 
and they're fast and they zig and they zag and they move. And if you're going to get one, you felt like, yeah, right. I mean, that was a hit. That was a land right there. Did the rabbit have a gun? The rabbit did not have. They're not shooting back, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, but if you to answer your question, I mean, there's there's elements of training that you can bring into it to heighten uh, the stress levels. Uh, So law enforcement will use simunition rounds. So they alter the gun and it, and it shoots a, a modified paintball, so to speak, but out of a, out of a real weapon. Oh, okay. And those hurt extremely bad when you get hit. I bet. So you don't want to be hit and you have someone shooting at you and you're shooting back at them and there's movement and it's as real life as you can possibly get uh, because it's going to hurt quite substantially if you do get, get shot. So that's a way to train through the stress. And so, you know, I, I'm able to handle that. And in, in a real situation, I've experienced something similar, not the same, but similar uh, to where I can I can uh, make good decisions through that stress. Yep. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I talked to a buddy of mine who's a, a police officer and he was telling this story. They they went to uh, to this paintball place one time he and his, his buddies who were all trained officers, like 20 years, like good, good trained, experienced officers. Mm-hmm. And they just crushed everybody, right? They just, they had like this, it's like, you that know. That goes back to training, right? right. They, I mean, they, they, and they've been trained, right? It's right, like, sure. They should. Yeah, I was like, absolutely. I was like, I'm glad you did, right? Yeah, you if you, know, have, if like, you have a 14-year-old that's taking you out every time, we got some issues, right? <laughs> right, I mean, it, it's what they were dominated, right? They, right. they had tactics that worked, and it, it's like, it's amazing what works when you're trained and you're experienced and you take the time to learn what to do, yeah. right? But uh, anyway, I think and that's uh, a lot of what you're trying to do is to train and learn. Absolutely, not 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 we're not running around paintball, but you're talking about because they're, you know, you had the shooting in the in the movie theater. Yes, yeah, yeah, Aurora, Colorado. You know, yeah. and it just comes down to like like Bill did with his daughter, of telling people to be aware of their situation. Right, you had four four hundred people in, in that always movie look for a way out. 400. 400 people in that movie yeah. theater, right? And it, it was, they, the, I can't remember off the top of my head the number of victims and the amount of seconds that occurred, but most of them were piled up at the two exits or laying in the, mm-hmm. in, I mean, so there's, how do we train through it? How do we, as a, how do we train our citizens, so to speak, on proper response in a situation like that? Because that's, a, I mean, it's, it's a dangerous situation, so. Or to even, you know what sucks is that, it, 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 why do we have to do it? But. And those, I think we all get stuck on that question. It's like, well, why should we have to do that? Well, you're right. It sucks. We shouldn't have to. You're absolutely. And I start yeah. every training like that. Yeah. The fact that I have to stand in this church and teach you active shooter responses, you know, we shouldn't have to do this, but we do. We do. Yeah. Right. So and then the question is, how does one learn it? So I, I like the notion of bringing a guy like you or you particularly in to talk to kids and families about how to deal with that scenario at the shopping mall or how to deal with that scenario at the... Uh, at the theater and how to, uh, you know, just generally what's the best way to save your life, right? right? We're not talking about yep. being Superman here or super cop, right? Or whatever. That's we're we're the, talking about saving lives. Right. That's the, the goal of training when I t- teach active shooter response is survival. That's that's what we're tra- training is survival. Right. And yeah. I mean, there's there's not a, a one, two, three. You do these in this order and you'll be fine. Because I mean, you know, active shooter situations are dynamic. They're constantly changing and evolving. Um, but there are certain things that can be done to minimize the chances of being a victim. And that's, that's the number one, you know, purpose behind it. So, all right. Well, yeah, why don't you give your website again? So if they want to know how they can get hold of you. Uh, sure. It's uh, ARC. It's A-R-K safetyconsulting.com. ARC safetyconsulting.com. And if you're out there, I mean, who, uh, one more quick question and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. But it's like churches, uh, obviously private public school systems, things like that. Who else do you feel benefits from uh, from what you got to offer here? Uh, so the the three that that I kind of market to would be schools, uh, churches, and businesses. Yeah. Um, any place where people mass together. So it could be a small business to 
you know, a large warehouse to where we have you just know, a year there. Just about a week ago. Was it a week ago, two weeks ago, whenever Hanny got uh, the terrorism attack with the machete? Right. Came in. Right. Came in and it's uh, a small restaurant. Right? And yep. yeah, it was it was it was small and he ended up hitting Bill Foley, who was the guitar player that was there mm. and uh, a number of other people that oddly enough lived in Johnstown. Yeah. You know, and, sure. and it just, you know, and that was a machete. Yeah, I mean, Murraysville uh, Regional School, mm-hmm. I know you, you kind of mentioned you knew about Murraysville, but they had the, the school stabbing where 19 kids were stabbed with, yeah. they yeah. brought in knives. So it's, yeah, it so we're not just talking active shooter, but it's kind of an all-encompassing active threat term yes. now. So any, yeah, so as a business, I'd be thinking, all right, you're not going to just tell me how to shoot the assailant or shoot the no, guy. It's right. like, you're, you're giving us instruction, I assume on, well, you tell me. So I, I'm, I'm guessing like the general security of the place. Right. What to do if something happens and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if, it could start from everywhere from the base planning. Do you have a plan in place that your staff are aware of? It's accessible. They know about it all the way up, you know, through, through the physical security site assessment, vulnerability assessments to the staff training. And that is such an important part is do your staff know what to do and are they confident in in being able to carry that out in the event that something happens? So if you walk into your business, school, church, whatever, and ask your secretary or anybody, in the event that this happens, what are you going to do? And if it, if at any point they they kind of look at you like I'm not real sure, that, that's yeah, you might need we need to change that. We right. Need to, right, you need to be able your staff need to be confident in knowing that hey, if this happens, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I've already um, decided right. we're going to make you some know, changes. And, and, you know, <laughs> we're calling I need to. I'm, I'm going to have to say I go. was thinking about it. I, I my training's pretty pretty weak, really, at my store. I mean, my worry that I always had was well before Hanny, which is he's a good friend of mine. I've known him for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my insurance adjuster came in, asked me, joking, because I have to, every year, he's like, ah, you want terrorist, you know, insurance? He's like, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, how much is it? He's like, $50. I was like, yeah, I'll take that. He's like, why? I said, because my friend didn't have it, right. and they considered an act of terrorism, yeah, go, and, yeah. and they'll clean up and everything. He got hit there. Blame the lawyers. Now, yeah. what I usually <laughs> tell we'll blame my- the insurance company. I've always told, told my crew, I said, I always think robbery. That's just, you know, I mean, where I'm at, that it's a it's, it's small place right there. I've always said this. The first thing you do is give them the money. Comply, right? Give them. You just, just don't fight. Don't argue. You give them the money. Don't, don't protect. Don't protect the cash. That's the last thing. And if they want the merchandise, you do what? You pack it up Bang and you up. walk it out to the car for them. <laughs> don't take my fate. <laughs> give it away. Uh, give it away. So I think what I'm going to do here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the decision on the air. I think we're going to call you. We're going to be doing an assessment here, and I'm going to report back on how that went and, and what happened with it. Okay. I think that makes a lot of sense because we need it. Yeah. I mean, everyone can use actually, it. Actually, I have no idea if I need it, but I would rather know than not rather know. know sure. That's what to good. do if I never needed it. So be it. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, that is lawyer talk off the record on the air, at least until now.